0: I would invite you to turn in your pew Bibles to Psalm 115, as Roger already noted, doing things a little bit different on this Lord's Day. Uh, We had Matthew 5 for our responsive reading, and there's a reason for that, and our sermon text for today, this first Sunday of um, 2020, is uh, from Psalm 115, next Sunday. Uh, we'll begin our study of the book of Romans. Um, encourage you um, to, to make time this week to read through the book of Romans. Um, become familiar with it, and uh, I know you'll you'll grow to to love it as it uh, contains the life giving, loving gospel uh, of Christ, our Savior. Uh, but Psalm one fifteen. Uh, A psalm for 2020, as we consider what it means to be living for God's glory. Hear God's word, Psalm 115. And again, uh, that's on, uh, I'll find it, page 510 of your Pew Bibles. And I'll read it through. Uh, This is the word of God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us. But to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. The house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes. Uh, That we may see glorious things in your law, Lord. Keep our ears open, our hearts tender, always to the things of Christ. Pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, uh, would be at work, Father, not only in our midst, but in each of our hearts this morning. That we would not only be hearers of the word, Uh, but loving, faithful doers of the word. All to your glory and praise, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, on this first Sunday of this new decade, it's a a wise thing for us to prayerfully plan for a fruitful start uh, in this year of our Lord, 2020. 2020. You know, even Christians can make uh, sincere resolutions for this new year. Maybe you've done it already. You know, resolutions like this, save more, spend less, eat less, exercise more, spend less time on the Internet, more time in Scripture. Even a young Jonathan Edwards, uh, the Sincere gospel preacher in New England wrote out 70 resolutions somewhere around the year 1722. And his very first resolution was this one, resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence. Resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory. You know, this morning I would invite you to turn to Psalm 115, called it, entitled this sermon, a psalm for 2020, not that you can only read it in in this year, uh, but I believe it's a great way to start uh, this new year. It's a scripturally edifying psalm that guides us as we uh, start this new year and, and purposely resolve to live by God's grace and for God's glory. You know, and we'll be studying this psalm with this uh, theme in mind. Uh, that our glorious God gives us scriptural encouragement to live for his glory. You know, it, it's not only a command, you know, but but here God graciously encourages us uh, to live for his glory. You know, why then should we live for God's glory? A little different uh outline this morning, five reasons. Here in Psalm 115, why should we be living for God's glory? I give you the overview, a glorious character, a glorious confrontation, a glorious call, a glorious confidence, and finally a glorious celebration. You know, it begins rightly with the glorious character of God there in the first three verses. uh, Psalm 115 starts off with a striking plea uh, by the psalmist. You know, not to us, O Lord, and then he repeats himself, not to us, O Lord, give glory. You know, like Jonathan Edwards, and I think, all the humble saints in Scripture, you know, the the psalmist prays that in his life that God would get all the glory. You know, and why should the Lord get all the glory? Lest we be uncertain or confused, Scripture tells us. You know, God gets all the glory still in verse 1 for the sake or because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. You know, we, we've seen that term before in our study of Scripture, God's steadfast love, his, his hesed is a word in the, in the Hebrew. You know, it, it's a word that's rich with meaning. You know, here it's steadfast love. It's also translated God's loving kindness. A longer definition, his covenantal affection, for his children. You know, God is a covenant-keeping God, always faithful to his promises. You know, the word can also rightly be interpreted grace. You know, God is graciously committed to us in Christ. And the other side of this coin, God's steadfast love and your faithfulness. Your your truth uh, we see this expression used in Lamentations, uh, chapter three, verses twenty-two and twenty-three. Hear God's word, Lamentations, three, twenty-two and twenty-three. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases; His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. Now, again, the use of both of those. Attributes of God, his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And take it one step further. You know, there's a, a verse that we often hear at, at Christmas, thinking of the incarnation of Christ, and that's John chapter 1, verse 14. Many of you know it by heart, but let me read it for us. John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten, of the only Son from the Father. And what's the last phrase? Full of grace and truth. Full of steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, It's describing Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, the glorious character of our God. But what's the response? Look back to Psalm 115. You know, what's the response of the nations? The nations is a way of speaking of of the unredeemed, those who are not trusting in God. You know, when when they hear about this glorious character of God, they, they ask the question, you know, where is your God? You know, it's a question people often ask. Asked of Job, you're going through suffering or trial or tribulation. You know, and and your unbelieving friends might ask, well, where's your God? You know, I thought he was a good God. I thought he answered your prayers. You know, that's what the nations are asking uh, here of Israel. And and what's the response? Uh, Verse 3, still the glorious character of God. You know, God's people respond in this way. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. You know, why does it say God is in the heavens? You know, think of it this way. In the Lord's Prayer, how does it begin? Our Father who art in, say it, heaven. Yeah. You know, that's not just throwaway words. You know, he's in heaven. You know, he he sits upon the throne. He's the superior God. Everything is is under his divine watch care, and that's the last phrase he does all that he pleases. you know that that's another way of saying God is sovereign. you know God's will will always be accomplished, you know for his good, for our good, and for his glory. You know, it's a glorious and a comforting theological truth here for, for troubled Christians. I came across this quote this week from Johnny Erickson Tata. You, many of you might be familiar with her, a Christian woman. Um, had a diving accident when she was 16, quadriplegic. And, and then as of late, she has been battling cancer. And this is what she wrote, and thinking about you know, God's sovereignty. And I quote, nothing is a surprise to God. Nothing is a setback to his plans. Nothing can thwart his purposes. And nothing is beyond his control. I can send you that quote uh, later on, um, but but that her quote is is taken based upon the truth of Scripture. You know, hear this from Isaiah chapter forty-six, uh, verses eight and ten. Isaiah forty-six, verse eight: Remember this and stand firm. Recall to mind, you transgressor. Transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Now verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now God's a sovereign God. You know he's a glorious God. you know as we again consider this these opening verses, let me read the first verse again, I tell a quick give a quick illustration, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. You know it said, one Christian Bible scholar noted that in England, William Wilberforce. Who served in the English Parliament? He spent much of his life uh, pushing, promoting a bill for the abolition of of slavery. The slave trade in the British Empire finally passed in the year 1807. And it said that after that bill finally made it through Parliament, this is the verse that he quoted. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. May we start this new year, this new decade, centering on the the glorious character of God. So a glorious character of our our God, but there is a glorious confrontation with idolatry, verses 4 through 8. You know, you'll see in this psalm that there are stark contrasts you know e- either god is getting all the glory or something temporal something fallen or some unrepentant sinner is is uh, receiving the glory and so the the psalmist here, here is is confronting idolatry uh, dr james a boyce and his uh Sermons on the Psalms, and uh, he speaks plainly, but usually gently, but he writes this about the following verses. These verses are highly sarcastic and profoundly mocking. You know, it's the only time in the Psalms that we hear such a strong attack on idolatry. You know We're either worshiping, following, loving the one true God, or we're serving idols here. And so the psalmist describes these, these idols, and you might be asking the question, well, what's an idol? A few different definitions, but here's one. An idol is anything or anyone or any activity that we love more than God. You know, that's why the second commandment, it, you know, is so important. You can see it there in the handout. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And it goes on from there. You know, and here in Psalm 115, the idols are of silver and of gold. Back, you know, back in the psalmist day, those were the most precious things. And yet, even these idols were man-made Monuments. You know they they were created, and I use the word loosely there by sinful man. You know, think of Aaron's golden calf there in Exodus. You know, or, or lest we think, well, an idol just has to be a thing. You know, hear this from uh, the New Testament, Colossians chapter three, verse five. Colossians three, verse five, put to death, therefore whatever is earthly in you or sinful in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, know, and and take a look again at at Psalm 115. These idols of silver and gold look lifelike. They have mouths, ears, eyes, ears, noses, hands, feet, Yet no speech, no hearing, no smell, no feeling, no walking. And look especially at verse 7. And they do not make a sound in their throat. You know, why is that so important? You know, it's because these idols, you know, do not reveal anything. You know, God is a God, our God that we worship is a God who, who reveals his his greatness and his graciousness, not only in his creation, you know, but in his word in sending us his son, Jesus Christ. You know, these idols cannot communicate. And and the the, the struggle, the, the the snare there In verse 8, those who make them become like them. You know, lest we think, well, maybe I can dabble in idolatry, you know, sexual immorality, covetousness, greed, whatever it might be. No, you can't. You know, we become like the things that we worship. You know, we sadly turn into the things that we sinfully trust. You know, Table Talk, great Christian periodical, encourage you to uh, subscribe to it. You can read it online. Put it this way, anything or anyone can become an idol in our lives. Because whatever we love more than the Lord is, by definition, an idol. I'll give you a scriptural example, just one. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, you can read about him in Daniel chapter 4. You know, he, he walks out into his kingdom one day there in Babylon, and, and he's, he's bragging on himself. Man, what, what a great kingdom I built. You know, and he's trying to pat himself on the back about it all. You know, what does the Lord do to him? Doesn't strike him dead, but but it's a pretty graphic image. You know, he becomes like an animal, you know, living out in the wild. You know, but that's not the end of the story. You know, at the end, Nebuchadnezzar repents. You know, and the Lord restores him. And I believe it was a object lesson. Nebuchadnezzar became like the things, the idols that he worshipped. You know, and, and take it a step further and talking to you and uh, and preaching to myself, a little bit of meddling here. What's an idol? Temporal possessions can become an idol. Our homes, guns, Books, antiques, you know, a, a preoccupation with pleasure. Not that God doesn't want us to enjoy things, but a preoccupation with pleasure. Eating, hunting, shopping, yes, sports. You know, I, I think I, we, there's the idol, too, of trying to escape from God's providential trials whether it's a sickness you know or God is bringing us through a, a hard relationship you know you know there there are idols you know that that we still worship here and now and so our prayer should be help me lord to identify those sinful idols in my life May I turn from those idols. You know, may may I trust in you more fully, faithfully each day. A glorious confrontation with idolatry. Third, a a glorious call to trust in the Lord, verses 9 through 11. You know, great encouragement here. God's gracious antidote for the attraction of sinful idolatry. You know, God gives a strong and sovereign call to us. In fact, it's a, a command. For Christians, trust in the Lord. Uh, you, you could boil down much of, of what is God is teaching us here in, in Psalm 115, in fact, in all of Scripture, to, to that command trust in the Lord. You know, and God, there's a series of three audiences then that the psalmist is addressing. You know, O house of Israel, or Israel. That, that's all of God's people. That that would include us. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. And then, oh, house of Aaron, the, the priestly line. You know, lest the priests think, well, you know, I'm off the hook. Of course I trust in the Lord. No. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. And then third, you who fear the Lord. You know, God-fearing Gentiles. Here, here we can see the gospel in Psalm 115, you know, this isn't a, a command just to, you know, the Jews, you know, it's, it's a command to all of us. You who fear, you who reverence, you who worship the Lord, trust in the Lord. You know, it's a command to trust in the Lord's steadfast love, his faithfulness, his sovereignty. What, what does it mean to Trust means we confide in the Lord. We, we commit ourself entirely to him. You know, there is no such thing as a half-hearted trust. Well, I sort of trust the Lord. No. We, either we trust the Lord or we don't trust the Lord. To trust in the Lord. You know, from... My earliest memories, um, my grandfather's, my mom's dad life verses, you know, were were Proverbs three, you know, five and six. Many of you probably know those by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths or make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, it gives us an additional layer here. You know, and it's good verse for us as Presbyterians is not trust in the Lord with all your mind. But really, trust in the Lord with all of your being. You know, trust. Trust. You know, and why can we trust in the Lord? Again, Scripture gives us reason for trusting in him. Three times we read that phrase, he is their help and their shield. He is their help and their shield. You know, the word help there is easier You know, and, and the the song, hymn, encouraging you to learn this month, Um Come thou fount of every blessing. You'll come across that phrase, Ebenezer, stone of help or stone of remembrance. You know, it's it's a little bit stronger word than we use that word help. It It has the idea that God delivers us from our dread enemies, from the dominion of sin, even from death itself. You know, he is the God who delivers us, He helps us, but he's our shield He's our defensive weapon. He protects us from satan's attacks you know Ephesians chapter six verse six sixteen the 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 armor of the Christian faith is the shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You know, it doesn't say, well, most of the darts of the evil one or a few of the darts with which you can extinguish all the darts of the evil one. You know, he's our help and our shield. How can we not but trust in that God who is our help and our shield? You who fear the Lord, who reverence God, trust in the Lord, worship Him, walk in loving obedience. Don't want to ever recommend mute movies, but've uh, seen the movie a few times. It's a movie musical Fiddler on the Roof," you know, back from 1971. Uh, there's a scene in that movie you know one song it's a sabbath day scene um uh, the movie is set in pre-revolutionary russia um the this jewish family Teviev golda and their five daughters or their whole life is will quickly turn upside down but they're they are gathered around the dinner table it's The Sabbath celebration, you know, the wife, Golda, lights the candles, uh, covers her eyes, and and then uh, she begins to sing this song, a Sabbath prayer. May the Lord protect and defend you. May he always shield you from shame. May you come to be in Israel a shining name. You know, here in in Psalm 115, the Lord gives us his gracious and glorious call to trust in him. Take it a step further, really, it's to trust in Christ. To trust in Christ for our salvation. You know, to trust that Christ is fully, truly God, truly man. He was truly tempted, tried, and tested, and always as we are, yet without sin. To trust that Christ truly died for our sins on the cross, the righteous, for us, the unrighteous ones, to bring us to God. You know, he was our substitutionary sacrifice, that he truly paid the price for our salvation once and for all. You know, we're called to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord Jesus who rose again from the dead, coming again for his loved ones. He's our help, our shield, our savior. Quickly now, uh, verses 12 through 15, the, the fourth Truth There's a glorious confidence in God's blessings. You know, the Lord has remembered us. You know, it's not that the Lord has ever forgotten us. You know, the Lord does not suffer from senility nor dementia. We're always on his mind. We are always in his heart. He never forgets us. And he will bless us. What does it mean to be blessed by the Lord? He will show us his steadfast love and faithfulness. He will show that he is indeed our help and our shield. You know, and again, it's a threefold blessing to Israel, to the house of Israel, again to the house of Aaron, that blessing on those who fear the Lord. And then this little phrase, both small and great. You know, from the youngest to the oldest, from the one with the least amount of in their savings account, you know, to the one with millions of dollars in their saving account, to the one who doesn't have a a high school diploma, to the one who has multiple degrees, you know, from the from the smallest, from the least of these, to, to the greatest. You know, it's it's God's gracious blessing upon us. You know, the Lord remembers us. You know, remember that cry of the repentant thief on the cross. Not a vain cry. You can re- read it in Luke's gospel. What does he cry to the Lord? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what's Jesus' promised Today, you shall be with me in paradise. You know, we can have a glorious confidence in God's blessing. To be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth, the Lord who blesses, verse 14, you know, our families, our marriages, his churches, May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. We will be blessed, but who will get all the glory? You know, God gets all the glory. You know, in our responsive reading, reason we read it, it has that word blessed, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, you know, the last verse in this section Jesus, speaking to his followers, says this, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know how they will see our good works and why will they give glory to our Father in heaven? They will come to saving faith in Christ you know that 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 blessing of god in our lives will be a blessing not only to us you know but to a lost world around us finally there's a glorious celebration verses 16 and 18 a glorious celebration in the lord it said that scroggie put it this way this choral song ends with a full-throated burst of praise from the choir and the congregation You know, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man, called the stewardship, to be wise caretakers of God's creation. A reminder, verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord. I believe here it's best understood as referring to the spiritually dead. Those who have hardened hearts. Stubborn hearts refuse to bow the knee before a holy God. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence, those who go to to hell with unrepentant hearts. You know, again, that contrast either we're glorifying God, trusting in the Lord, or, or we're trusting in ourselves. But he ends here, the psalmist ends, scripture ends, but we will bless the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, praise the Lord. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Though the dead cannot, the wicked will not, and the careless do not praise God, yet we will shout Hallelujah uh, forever and ever. You know, we've not even yet finished the full week in, in this year of twenty twenty. Uh, we've seen death those who are struggling with difficult health issues, you know, the dread possibility of war in the Middle East, it's Scripture's reminder, God's gracious reminder, either there's only two ways to live, beloved brothers and sisters. Either we live for our own glory, that will be gone before we die, or we live For the glory of God, by the grace of Christ, uh, there is no better way to be living here, now, and for all eternity than to be living for the glory of God. From this time forth and forevermore, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, these gospel promises in your word. Thank you, Father, that uh, you indeed are a trustworthy God, a glorious God, but as well a gracious God who loves us in Christ. Father, may we live each day by your grace and for your glory, not only for our good, but so that many might as well be giving glory to God.